Hi, folks. This is Jonathan Tannenlaw from Philly.com. Welcome to a special broadcast on Backheel. We're going to spend some time this evening talking about the MLS CBA negotiations, bringing you some of the latest news as best we can and analysis from across North America. As we try to figure out what's going on, we try to see whether there's going to be a strike, whether the games are going to be played on time this weekend. Uh, we're also, of course, uh, well aware that there is a game going on at this hour in Montreal between the Montreal Impact and Pachuca in the CONCACAF Champions League. The game is on Fox Sports 2 and uh, Galavision down here in the United States. It's on TVA Sport and Sportsnet 1 and Sportsnet World in Canada. If you're watching, maybe you'll mute your TV for a few minutes. If you're not able to watch, we'll try to bring you some live updates as best we can. The guests we're going to have tonight here on Backheel, uh, with me hosting. Uh, first up, we will have Dwayne Rollins from Canadian Soccer News and Simon Fudge from Goal Canada. They'll be with us until about the bottom of the hour. And then uh, we will have Matt Pence of the Seattle Times and Paul Tenorio of the Orlando Sentinel, two of the best beat writers in Major League Soccer and two of the biggest markets in Major League Soccer to talk about what is at stake. So let's start with the news that just broke by way of Jeff Carlisle of ESPN. Uh, we heard earlier today from Stephen Goff of the Washington Post that finally the owners in Major League Soccer opened Pandora's box on free agency. The one thing they said they would not do. They offered a token deal, I think it's fair to say, uh, of a 10-year service contingent for you have to be 32 years old and spend 10 years with one team in this, uh, 10 years all with one team, which is a lot. But as folks who are in the know about how labor negotiations go, mention quickly, they open the door and then you start bargaining the numbers down. And that's what they've happened. Uh, Jeff Carlisle of ESPN reporting that the conditions are now down to 28 years or older and who have been in the league at least eight years and not necessarily with the same team, will have the right to choose their next market when their contract runs out or when their options decline. That's the language used by Jeff. Um, that's getting closer, folks, and that's getting closer in a hurry. And I've started to wonder over the last few days whether, uh, whether the owners, especially the big market owners, I think about Toronto, I think about Orlando with a sold-out Citrus Bowl, on Sunday night for the big game on ESPN, whether they would start to get cold feet. I wonder whether it's starting to happen. Let's take a quick break. Come back with Dwayne Rollins of Canadian Soccer News, Simon Fudge of Goal Canada. I'm Jonathan Tannenwald from Philly.com. You're listening to a special broadcast here on Backheel.com as we bring you the latest news about the MLS CBA talks. Welcome back here on Backheel.com. I'm Jonathan Tannenwald from Philly.com. I'm going to apologize uh, if you hear my phone in the background uh, or if you hear uh, my keyboard or whatever, we're trying to do all of this stuff, a not so much by the seat of our pants, back heels classier than that. But, uh, of course, there is news breaking while we're on air and we're trying to do our best to keep track of it. And we're trying to keep track uh, of what's going on uh, in Montreal with the impact in Pachuca. My cable's out because of an ice storm here in Philadelphia. While we wait for my cable to come back while I try to not take up too much bandwidth in my apartment with a video stream of Fox Soccer to go. We welcome in our first two guests of the evening, Dwayne Rollins of Canadian Soccer News 
in Toronto and Simon Fudge in Vancouver or whereabouts in Vancouver, Simon, I should say. I'm not sure exactly where. And I guess, Dwayne, you aren't always exactly in Toronto either. But nonetheless, uh, let's start with a Canadian perspective for two reasons. One, we know that Toronto and Vancouver are two of the big players in MLS. Yes, you heard me right, folks. There are big players in MLS in Canada. They've got big money. We certainly know that about Toronto. We know it about Vancouver. Uh, we know that Vancouver's great kerfoot has been in the bargaining room uh, and could well be something of a contrasting voice to the two old heads that are in there, Clark Hunt from Dallas, Jonathan Kraft from New England, two of the oldest li- old line guys in all of MLS. So, gentlemen, let me start with what you guys have reported today. First, uh, Simon, you were at uh, the Whitecaps practice this afternoon at the University of British Columbia where Stephen Betashore the Whitecaps player reps said they're ready to call a strike vote tomorrow night or Thursday. That's certainly consistent with what a lot of us have been guessing of a window between the end of tomorrow night's Champions League game in Washington uh, between DC United and Alajuelense and then whenever the Chicago Fire get on that plane on Thursday to go out to Los Angeles. We then heard this afternoon from Stephen Goff, the Washington Post, as talks really broke down or seemed to that DC United might not take the field tomorrow night in Washington. I start to wonder now whether that, whether they might uh, play if there's real progress being made. Um, and then, Dwayne, you reported this afternoon, obviously before this latest turn of events this evening, that the MLS Players Union was close to walking away from a negotiating table. You also reported that some other pro sports unions have potentially uh, been willing to step up and offer some financial support to the MLS Players Union. I'm going to ask you to elaborate on that, Dwayne, if you can at this point, because we did hear this afternoon from Jeff Carlisle of ESPN. It's not the NFL Players Association. Are you at a point where you're any closer to being able to confirm what's going on? Yeah, I'm not going to say what particular uh, union it is just yet because I, I, I can't nail it down that much. But what I was told is that uh, there was a, a vested interest in um, – Making sure that the ideas of single entity didn't take root and potentially uh, down the line sort of uh, trickle into those other sports. I know that's a long shot and a lot of people may kind of sniff at that idea, but that's certainly where that motivation was coming from. Um, there's also, I think, just a, a solidarity there in, in the sense that uh, you know they, they want to help guys out maybe that uh, if they're true union guys. Uh, there's a little bit of that happening as well. Uh, certainly, it didn't surprise me that uh, that Jeff got the denial there or, or the non-confirmation uh, anyway. Uh, it's not something that they're necessarily going to put out there at this point. There's so much information flying around today that uh, you know that, that it's hard to pin down exactly what's what at times and, and whether you're being used. And uh, certainly, though, that's what I woke up to. I chased that all morning, and then all of a sudden, of course, at 1 o'clock, everything started to, to break down uh, and break apart, uh, and, and here we are. Simon, I did a, a ranking a couple days ago of what I believe are the most important games from a league-wide perspective in this opening weekend of the 2015 season. Obviously, Orlando, New York City is at the top. I think everyone agrees on that. But I put Vancouver, Toronto second because of how much buzz there is around this Whitecaps team. Obviously, how much buzz there is around TFC, it being Sebastian Giovinco's debut. Uh, and if I'm Bell Media, Simon... Uh, I'm looking at a potential, I would think, certainly regular season record for ratings for Major League Soccer, a game with nationwide appeal, stuck between two two matches of the big Briar curling tournament that everybody's going to be watching. There's a lot at stake in Vancouver on Saturday, isn't there? 
There certainly is. I should just clarify as well that what Betasher, and I've just kind of written it for Gold.com today, is that Betasher kind of expected the, the, the vote that they were potentially doing for a strike that would happen either tonight, late this evening, or tomorrow morning. Oh, I beg your pardon. Sorry. All right. Yeah. So that was what he basically clarified today to the media after training. And, of course, he'd gone to D.C. to, to be part of negotiation and then came back and was part of training today at UBC. Yeah, I, I, you, I totally agree, especially with the fact that, you know, it, it's, a, it's a game that will be shown right across the country. Um, the fact that, obviously, Bell Media with TSN would have been quite insistent on having certainly both teams play together to start the season and get things launched. Uh, with everything that has been going on, obviously, that we've seen this offseason with TFC, but also uh, with, with the anticipation, certainly in this marketplace, about how good this Whitecaps team could be this season. And, you know, this preseason has been a, a very productive one, uh, if not an encouraging one, to watch uh, with them. And certainly the fact that, and I was at the uh, the club's launch party last night in, in downtown Vancouver, and you know, everything just seemed to be moving as unabated as, as one would expect, but you knew in the back of everyone's mind that things may not take place, and it was quite of ironic today, particularly when Steve Goff was sending out the tweets that a lot of us that were in the media were at training sort of around 11 o'clock Pacific were getting, that the cat, that the club then put out, a, a ironically, a, a, an announcement saying that they've got less than a 1,000 tickets to sell for the game on Saturday, which may not take place. Uh, there's a lot at stake here, certainly from a Canadian perspective, because it's it's you know it's the risk I think of losing momentum that is has been built up probably more so than they, it's ever been seen probably certainly in the recent history of MLS going into a into an MLS season and and you you know obviously it probably doesn't pale in comparison to an Orlando um, versus New York City uh, game. Uh, but it's certainly right up there, and I think that's the thing that's making everyone quite nervous and apprehensive at the moment. Dwayne, if you're Bell <laughs> and your agreement with MLS expires at the end of the 2016 season, you don't have hockey, uh, the odds are fairly high that you're going to be expected to pony up. What are you thinking? Well, absolutely. They want to build this this property. Uh, they, they've just also received the, the UEFA Champions League rights for next year, starting next year. Certainly soccer, I think, is an area that they've uh, identified as a growth area for them. The Women's World Cup, they're, they're doing up really big here as well. A lot of promotion attached to that. Uh, it, it all ties. They've, they've invested a lot on the on-air talent up here. Uh, it gets a lot of attention that don't necessarily reflect the rank, ratings sometimes, and they're going to want to see a, a bump in those ratings sooner rather than later. An extended uh, strikes situation would not be ideal at all obviously uh, they want to grab the attention early on before we get into the height of the nhl playoffs and, and so on and so forth in the summer you have the cfl taking attention away so this is the perfect timing you know and it's not a coincidence that uh, vancouver and, and toronto have, have started the season a, a couple times now uh, it's a tsn request to have that big match up there it's it's their biggest uh, draw of the year um and it's absolutely something that they want to build on if you're toronto How, how much is at stake for them on Saturday? I would imagine there might be a little more at stake when BMO Field reopens in May. But you want to get this thing off to uh, to a good start with the big stars. And Tim Laiweke has been no shrinking violet in Major League Soccer's history when expressing his opinions about his colleagues in the border. Oh, absolutely. I mean, 
the importance for Toronto, you're right. The the long road trip off the start does take a little bit of pressure off this market. Uh, however, that said, there you know we're eight years into this thing, and, and there's just a lot of frustration and, and so on and so forth. And they want to get a good start off, and they definitely want you know a lot of the attention has gone to Vancouver, and I think there's a lot of people in TFC that that don't necessarily like some of that attention that they're getting, and they'd like to they'd like to stick it to their Canadian rivals, quite bluntly. So to to lose this game off the schedule would be would be huge in terms of the the pressure that they're feeling right now. You know, in some ways, TFC would benefit from a bit of a lockout because it might take some of those games off the road trip. But but certainly, they they need to get something out of this. They need to gel with this team together. They can't afford an extended period down uh, with as many new players as they have coming in because that's just ultimately going to make it more difficult for them to uh, to gel and, and become the type of team that they look like they might be able to be on paper. You guys know that I try not to give the Canadian MLS team short shrift. Um, is this a case where they can step up and say, look, there's some potential here, uh, not only for us, but for you guys, and it's time to spend some more money. And Simon, I'll go to you first. Uh, because Vancouver, even if they haven't always had the biggest payroll, they've been renowned for a long time as having some of the best corporate sponsorship in MLS. That's correct. Um, you know, they, certainly what they when what got put in place, particularly in the short time that CEO Paul Barber was here, uh, is certainly the, I'm sh- I'm sure the envy of a lot of basically a lot of the clubs in the league. Uh, and you know, the, a lot of those deals have um, have been in place now for effectively four or five seasons, and they've been very good partnerships or for for both the partners that are involved and the club. Um, you know, I mean, the pro, it, it's something that has, has given the club uh, the ability to have a, a particular type of profile, particularly in this country, because, you know, they are so closely tied to a couple of the, uh, the, bigger, the bigger partners that you have here. And, um, and I think they've certainly benefited from that, from that exposure. And so when you, when you look at the potential that uh, the season may not start, it, 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 it does put a certain amount of jeopardy um, into all of that. It's, but I think probably the biggest thing for, for supporters is the fact that particularly anyone who watched every game of the, of the Whitecaps last year and saw a certain amount of progress, as much as there was uh, you know, sort of a step-by-step transition that was taking place here with, with, Rob, with Carl Robinson sort of molding this team into into one that is sort of his, you know, people are, are very excited here to have the opportunity to see them, what they look like almost at that second stage. And, and so that, that anticipation to have the opportunity to do it against a rival here, start the season off well, hopefully, and, and, and kind of prove that maybe they can do something in this league when maybe not too many people are expecting them to do as well in respect to others in the league, and particularly with the fact that the Western Conference on paper has become a much tougher division with Kansas City and Houston now part of it. Um, it it's kind of, it, it, you know, I, I think there is that sense of, you know, we really want to get going. I mean, I think I think that feeling is it pretty much everywhere across the league, but it, certainly here there is that sense that, you know, the offseason has gone long enough, we want to get going, and it, it, it would be really. It, there's already been a sense from some people on Twitter, Whitecaps fans, that you know that, that they're already starting to feel. You know, they'd be really gutted if 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 Saturday was not actually to come round. 
Last question goes to Dwayne, uh, and then Simon, you can answer it after him. I've been up to the three Canadian markets enough times to see how much coverage their MLS teams get locally. I mean, even just this morning, reading the Montreal papers, three pages in the Journal de Montréal, big coverage in La Presse and, and uh, on the radio. How much is the CBA stuff getting traction? And I know that from a hockey fan's perspective, Dwayne, we had the NHL trade deadline this week, and you could sneeze at the Air Canada Centre and shut down the entire city if you're Dion Phaneuf or Phil Kessel. But nonetheless, <laughs> how much attention has this been getting up there? Well, not a ton, but I think that there, there is more attention in general to, to all MLS issues in this country, uh, closer to the mainstream than you often find state size. Um, you know, I, people can argue that with me if they want, but uh, certainly in this market, you'll see the the major guys like Larson and and Molnero and, and all those those good folks are, are talking about this or talking about the issues. TSN uh, is addressing it, even though they're a league partner. Uh, so certainly, it is getting talked about now. You know, it's all in context. As you mentioned, the trade deadline is engulfing everything right now. A, a tweet that was sent on TSN yesterday is the number one story in sports right now. So. It's uh, it's all relative, but you know, you look at the attention. I'm looking at thirty thousand people in Montreal on my TV screen as I talk right now. That this sport does have a massive potential in Canada. I feel that the market in Canada is undertapped right now, and and it it's a major opportunity for MLS to to really find some more income, find some more revenue streams if they they do a better job in in Canada. And it's always been my feeling that they haven't completely utilized what kind of potential they have up here. Simon, I'm going, to, I'm going to spin the question a little bit to get you to close out. Because one of the criticisms that I've seen leveled at the fans in Canada uh, over the years, and I'm watching the Montreal Impact right now, and I've certainly heard it leveled at them as much as I have Toronto and Vancouver, if not maybe even more in Montreal. They follow their MLS teams with incredible passion, some of the best in the league. But they don't always follow MLS as a whole. Could this help change things? I, I hope it certainly would. Um, you know, the the to, to follow a collective bargain or a labor issue, yeah, it might get sort of a little bit. But certainly, I think the one thing I think it's impacting is it's getting like the lo- the local media here a little bit more engaged in the in what the the goings on in MLS um, because it, you know it's it's a league issue that has been basically brought to the plate here in this local market, and it was quite evident from. Um, the the media that showed up today, even though there there's been quite a bit going on, some of the TV media was a bit late coming to training today because they were getting coverage of Davis Cup tennis that's about to take place here in Vancouver, I think this weekend. So, you know, the, and of course the Canucks were playing tonight in the NHL. So, um, you know, so you've got a lot of different things that are going on, but I think it's one of those things that certainly this week, if it hasn't really been on the radar. Uh, up until this point, it certainly become uh, come so because they 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 have it certainly penciled in that there's this big game supposed to be happening on Saturday, and there's a very good chance that it may not happen. If that goes in a strange way to helping Canadians get a little bit more engaged in MLS, well, then in some ways it would be a good thing. I agree with Dwayne in some respects. It may the marketplace here is probably a little bit. Um, uh, under taps in terms of what potential is here and I, I would say that about the entire country not necessarily the three biggest markets that actually have MLS clubs you know there's a lot of interest here in the league I don't know what one needs to do to try and change it to, to make maybe like the package like MLS live a little bit more accessible on the on the cable systems in this country 
um, in, instead of forcing you to have to sort of pay it and watch it online or through a device like Apple TV. It, it's, it's, it, it, there needs to probably be a little bit more effort in terms of trying to serve up the league a little bit more on people's plates here because if there was then I think you can get maybe more people engaged in it and it's going to be you know that I think that's the interesting thing with the situation I mean if a strike comes well does it have almost a reverse effect will that actually get people sort of tuned off because you know I've talked to one or two people here they're even involved in soccer here locally and they weren't totally aware that you know the new season was maybe starting or it had rushed up on them this quickly. So if we have a work stoppage, are they going to be aware of the fact that there was even a season starting right away? And you know, are they going to start not thinking about the fact that there's MLS soccer? It's a, it's kind of teetering on a bit of an edge, I think, a little bit, and, and to me, that's a bit of a concern. But at the same time, maybe the fact that there is this consternation and and we're unsure a little bit about the season starting and that getting uh, picked up by all forms of the press. Uh, and certainly it'll be written up, I think, in the papers here tomorrow. Um, maybe that will get people to learn a little bit more about the league, learn a little bit more about the fact that, like every other one of the major North American sports leagues, uh, you know, the, this is a league that's tied to having a, a, a collective bargaining agreement between the owners, the, the, the league, the owners, and its players. Um, and you know it maybe gets people sort of talking about that because I'm as you're as you're aware you know Canadian sports fans through the, the various labor issues with the NHL have been made well aware and have been well versed in all of these various issues over the last few years. Well, uh, I know better than to try to cross the uh, the Canadian Radio, TV, and Telecommunications Commission, which is Canada's <laughs> equivalent of the FCC. Uh, but I also know that with what ESPN has done buying the digital out-of-market rights for MLS in the hopes of getting them onto ESPN3 at some point, I hope that Bell develops the infrastructure to do something similar in Canada. Gentlemen, thank you for your time. Uh, you can follow, of course, Dwayne Rollins, who you all, I'm sure, know very well by now, at 24th Minute uh, on Twitter. Simon Fudge at SimonFudge74. And every Saturday night at what is it still 10 p.m. Pacific, Simon? It is still 10 p.m. Pacific. It's uh, Soccer Talk uh, with uh, with my with my co-host or my host, the host Tyler Green and myself. Uh, from it's a one-hour show now from uh, 10 p.m. to 11 p.m. Pacific time on a on CISL 650 Vancouver Radio. There, there's a podcast too for those of us who, who work morning shifts and therefore aren't used to staying up late anymore on the East Coast. Gentlemen, thank you, and we'll talk again soon. Hopefully, cheers. Thank you. Cheers. All right. Simon Fudge, Dwayne Rollins. We will take a quick break, come back with Matt Pence of the Seattle Times and Paul Tenorio of the Orlando. So, yeah. Last time I was on the show, I. Now I'm two for two. When we come back, Matt Pence of the Seattle Times, Paul Tenorio of the Orlando Sentinel, bring this thing south of the border and talk about two of the biggest markets in America and MLS. I'm Jonathan Tannenwald from Philly.com. You're listening to a special broadcast on Backhill.com. Running down the news of the MLS CBA talks. Welcome back here on Backheel.com. I'm Jonathan Tannenwald uh, from Philly.com. The special show uh, for news and analysis on the MLS CBA talks. My cable is slowly coming back in the middle of this ice storm that we're affected with in Philadelphia. So I've got the Montreal Pachuca game up. It's scoreless at Olympic Stadium through 
about 31 and a half minutes. Montreal, of course, with a 2-2 draw down in Mexico in the first leg. And it does look like there's a plenty big crowd, over 34,000 at the Olympic Stadium tonight. Glad to see they turned out in big numbers. It's in a big event town, folks. If you, if you can build up the hype, they will show up. And I know how badly they want a winner in Montreal. And, and if the impact do well, I, I know at the Olympic Stadium and Stadsaputo, they will show up to support that team. Now, let's talk about America, shall we? Uh, with two of the best MLS beat writers out there, Matt Pence of the Seattle Times and Paul Tenorio of the Orlando Sentinel. Gentlemen, good evening. Thanks for doing this on short notice. Um, Paul, I'm going to start with you because I don't think there's one single person. Obviously, there are entities that have a lot at stake at this. I don't think there's one single person who has more at stake in the MLS CBA talks than Phil Rollins and the brass down in Orlando because they've sold 60,000 tickets for that game on Sunday night. And if it, get, if, if it gets wiped out, you've only got one shot to make the first impression. No doubt. I think you have to absolutely agree with that statement. I mean, Phil Rollins and Orlando City have spent more than a year, greater than a year, working to build momentum in this market with the expectation that this would be the the kind of climax of everything. This would be that moment that they've been building towards, and, and they've done everything that they said they would do for it. I mean, every time you doubt that Orlando City is going to get something done, they do, they kind of do what they say they'll do, which is defy expectations. And, I, I you know, 60,000 tickets sold for this opening game, it has to put some pressure on the league to get something done. Um, you've got a market where where this team is, is very saturated in the market right now. There's a lot of excitement building around this team, and I think you lose a lot of that if there's a strike. And I don't know that this market can afford that right now. You've got a whole group of fans that are kind of on the outside looking in who are very curious, who are very interested, who want to be a part of this movement. And if there's a strike, I don't know if they come back and have as much interest as they as they did and do right now. You know, I, I think, Matt, about the fact that we've got a strange occurrence right now, which is that we've got three guys in a conversation about soccer who write for newspapers, uh, <laughs> which doesn't happen very often. Um, but I also think, look, I'm a unionized journalist myself. I can't speak for you guys, but I know that plenty of major newspapers out there in the big metropolitan areas of the U.S. are unionized. And one of the key tactics that you have in a union is you know when the other side's got the most momentum and you try to steal it from them. And if you're the players, the second that Orlando announced that they sold 60,000 tickets for you, if you're the players union, it's money in the bank, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, between that and all the buzz that the league has attempted to build with New York City FC, I mean, these two clubs, they have a lot invested in them succeeding. So having that big blowout opener and the big crowd that they have on hand, it's definitely a year where it seems like the players know that this is maybe a time where they can make a little bit more of a stand than they otherwise would. What's the vibe like out in Seattle? I know that the fans out there are quite passionate, and indeed some of them, when it comes to the to players' rights and, and player movement, they can get a little bit militant sometimes. So I would imagine that it's creating a lot of buzz. Uh, am I right? Absolutely. The uh, One of the local news stations, King 5, just sent out a report. Whenever uh, King 5 reports on... MLS, you know that something big is going on. Uh, that's kind of always the last <laughs> entity that, that chimes in. So, uh, yeah, the vibe around here, I mean, people are definitely concerned. I know around the club and around talking to the guys today, it seems like everybody wants to act as though business is going on as usual until the very last second. I would kind of describe it as 
cautiously optimistic. I know Zach Scott said today, I mean, granted this is before some of those reports came out, but he had said that he was still very confident that uh, they were going to get a deal done. There's a lot of veteran guys on the Sounders that have been through a couple of these. So nobody's really panicking yet, as odd as that is, kind of 36 hours out. Um, but I think it's still pretty optimistic around here, even with the fans. You know, I, I posted a story right before we came on air with some comments from Scott Guglielmino of ESPN expressing a hope that a deal would get done and certainly talking also about some of the contingencies in case it doesn't. I think also not only about the TV broadcasters in terms of sort of the neutral parties in this, the fans, whether they're neutral or not, but another interesting party to think about is the coaches. And there are a lot of coaches in MLS who have played in MLS before. Jim Curtin of the Philadelphia Union was a player rep when he was with the Chicago Fire. But you have in Seattle and Orlando two coaches who didn't play in the league, one in Adrian Heath, the other in Ziggy Schmidt. I, I wonder, I don't want to get them in trouble, obviously. Those guys don't make enough to be paying $250,000 fines. I understand that. But in general, Paul, I'll start with you, and then I'll go to Matt. I have a hunch that a lot of the coaches come down on the player's side. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think, look, I think it's tough for, for coaches. They're kind of in the middle, and I think certainly, like you said, the players, the coaches who have been players in Major League Soccer uh, understand what's at stake here and understand um, the battles that the players are going through. And, hey, they still have a lot of friends who are playing and who are part of this. Um, I think, look, at DC United, it's a pretty unique situation um, with Ben Olsen and, and Bobby Boswell having been teammates at one point. But, you know, Adrian Heath was a player for a very long time, and I think he understands the idea of player rights I just wrote a big profile story about Adrian, and he was telling me about when he first joined Stoke City at 16 and 17 years old, he was signed to what was called an apprentice contract back then, and they would actually work in addition to training. So they would he would sweep the floors of the barber shop, he would sweep the stadium grounds, uh, clean the boots of the veteran players, uh, mop up the locker room. That was a part of their job as well as being part of the team. And he, and he talked, well, obviously that's not the case anymore in England because they have the players association there that takes care of those issues. Um, so he understands that there have to be changes in movement for player rights as leagues grow. So um, certainly I think the, the coaches understand where the players are coming from, probably sympathize with the players, but at the same time have to kind of sit quietly by and, and just say what they're saying right now, which is, what Adrian said today, we will be ready to play at 5 p.m. on Sunday, and that's how we're preparing. Matt Ziggy Schmidt has been down this road many times before. He's one of the deans of the coaching establishment in Major League Soccer. I, I would imagine that whether or not he's worried per se, he's probably had a few words behind the scenes with his players about what he thinks. Yeah, it's a similar deal. I mean, on the surface, they've all just talked about being ready to go, um, acting like business as usual. I know that uh, you said that Ziggy's never played in the league, but he's been around it and coached in it for so long that it almost feels like he's one of those one of those league lifers, and he definitely has a vested interest. Um, he hasn't really gone on record to say anything about it. He always says that's a little bit above his pay grade. Um, but an interesting note about him is that uh, back when he was at UCLA, he was there a couple years after the uh, Kurt Flood base came down, and he uh, took some economics classes and wage theory. So he is uh, said that he actually took a case revol or took a class revolving around sports free agency. So he said he had plenty of thoughts, but none that he could share, and he gave that kind of wry smile. So he 
he's definitely tuned in to what's going on. And I know that, like I said, like just about everybody else, they're ready to go. It just kind of depends on whether, whether it all gets done. Paul, one of the big talking points in terms of solidarity among the players, uh, even if it hasn't been as big a concern in Philadelphia because they don't have that many big stars in the, on the team, uh, is what the big stars in MLS are thinking about all of this. And Kaká certainly comes to mind in that regard. Um, he's got plenty of money if they go on strike. He's probably got plenty of offers that he could have gone and, gone and played elsewhere instead of Orlando. Has he said anything publicly in terms of solidarity or things like that to, to, to show that he's on board with this? He hasn't. Uh, to be fair, he hasn't been asked, which is probably my fault. Um, you know, I, I think he's pretty new to the situation. I know that Tally Hall has said that he was going to take some time to sit down the foreign players that are new on this team, Kaká being one of them, and explain the situation and that he felt like, hey, it didn't matter uh, how much money you were making or kind of your background we're going to be supportive of the of the strike and the movement. Um, we'll see. I mean, Kaká's definitely been vocal about the situation um, in Brazil. The idea that if you come to the U.S., um, doesn't matter how much money is being made necessarily. Some of the numbers you see elsewhere, because in Brazil, for example, they're not getting paychecks sometimes, um, and that's the big issue. And, and there have been major player movements in Brazil for player rights that Kaká has definitely supported. So I would be surprised to see if a player like that was the one to break uh, to break the line, so to speak. I, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if there was a little bit of work being done behind the scenes for some of those mid-level players from outside of the U.S. to try to keep them in line and try to keep them going without the paychecks. But I, I would be it would be surprising to me if Kakao was one of those players, just because of uh, his kind of stature within the game. Uh, the idea that he's always been one of the guys and one of the leaders in the locker, very well respected by players, and the fact that he has been supportive of player rights in his home country. And Matt, what of Clint Dempsey? The similar situation. He uh, he got asked about it just kind of right when he first came into camp. He just kind of shrugged it off, said it was, wasn't really his place, and since he stayed a little bit quiet. Um, I get the sense that with the Sounders, everybody is sort of following Brad Evans' lead. Um, a guy that's been around for a while, the team's player representative. Um, and from the very start, he's been pretty forceful about, listen, this our players willing to do what they have to do. He he was one of the first players to come out publicly and said that they were willing to strike. And I sense that the rest of the locker room is kind of following his lead and feeding to him and allowing him to set the tone for the club. Uh, so while Dempsey hasn't really said anything publicly, uh, he's actually expected to talk tomorrow, so maybe that will change. But up until now, he's kind of taken a back seat, and it seems like everybody's sort of allowing Evans to be that, that mouthpiece, so to speak. I'm going to ask you guys a question that I asked Dwayne Rollins and uh, Simon Fudge a few minutes ago. And I, I'm, I'm probably more going to focus this on, on Paul because, Matt, I know that in Seattle they pay attention to plenty to MLS as a whole, especially uh, the rivals on either side of them on the Amtrak line. Uh, but, Paul, how much attention is, is being paid at this point in Orlando to the rest of MLS, or are they just – focused on their team? Um, you know, that's a good question. I think it depends. I think that there are the diehard fans here in Orlando, the kind of core fans that have been a part of this journey all the way from the beginning. Certainly the supporters groups, people who have bought in for several years now who have 
taken the time to educate themselves about the league and who follow the league and who are part of fantasy teams. And, and that's a big reason why they're doing research on the league. So I think there is definitely a faction of fans here who are paying attention around the league. But I think right now the, the real focus is on Orlando City and on MLS being here and on the prospect of this strike and, and it possibly kind of ruining the party. I think everyone that I've talked to the last week or two, that's kind of been the topic is how excited they are that MLS is in this market. Um, asking me questions about the team. What does it look like? What are, what's their potential? Can they really be good? Can they really be a playoff team? Is this realistic? Is this really going to happen? What's what's going on with the strike? So I think a lot of the focus right now in this market is certainly around Orlando City because, you know, they really haven't had a chance to see this new team yet. And, and they won't until Sunday, hopefully, possibly, um, possibly not. But, you know, they all the scrimmages in the city have been closed doors and they were up in Charleston. So unless you were watching on YouTube, you really haven't had a chance to see what the MLS is all about. Matt, it's one of the eternal questions in this league. How do you get fans in one market to watch a game between two teams in other markets? Uh, I, I know that Seattle's always delivered strong numbers for MLS, but do you think with a game like Orlando, New York on Sunday night that, 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 you know, that's one that'll get people to pay attention if they're not the two marks. Yeah, to be honest with you, I still get the sense, even even seven years on here, that the Sounders fans are still very much Sounders fans first. Um, and, and they kind of revolve in their own little sphere. And that's not even necessarily a Sounders-specific thing. It's a little bit more of a Seattle in general thing. We're kind of out on their own little island. And with every sport, it seems like it's the local team first. The rest of the West Coast people care about, um, and with MLS with the Sounders, with the, the Galaxy games, and obviously the Cascadia games draw a lot of interest, and they care about that. But the Eastern Conference still sort of exists in its own little world. Um, so I'll be interested to see what the local ratings are like for that Orlando City, New York City FC game, and, and if that draw, does like, draw a local buzz, because here it's still very much Sounders first, everybody else a couple of steps down. Paul, what do you think, and this is a question I think really applies more to Orlando because Seattle's got a lot of MLS veterans at this point. Guys like Chad Barrett and Kenny Cooper for whom they've been down this road before. But Orlando's got a lot of guys that either haven't been in MLS before or some of the Colombians and Brazilians that they've signed who are just completely new to this. Do you have any sense of what's going through their minds as they're watching all this stuff unfold? I think really that they're just kind of, watching from a distance and 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 i think right now until probably this week hoping that something gets done um you know i don't know how educated how in-depth they've been educated about this strike about what it means for them and their futures um you know even players who have been in the league for four years and missed out on the last cba discussions Aurelian Kalin today when he was at practice was talking about hey you know we just want to play i just want to be able to play this weekend i hope it gets done um, kind of trying to maintain that positive, optimistic outlook. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I don't I don't think that they are overly vocal or overly actively concerned about what's going to happen. Um, and I don't know if that's just because they they aren't quite educated and up to speed on on what the what the fight is about and what it means for them or or just if there's kind of that cultural disconnect. But I think you're right. I think there are a lot of players on this team who who are kind of outsiders are now being introduced into uh, into this fight and and are trying to kind of feel their way through it uh, at this point. But I think I think that the 
the fact that they have two very vocal, very well-spoken leaders on this team who are part of the talks are definitely going to help some of those, especially the younger Colombian players. You know, Carlos Rivas is 20 years old. Cristiano Guita is 21. Um, you know, for them to be able to understand what's going on, I, I think it's a really good sign that you've got a guy like Tally Hall who's been involved in these talks for a long time um, in the locker room, able to educate those players. Well, gentlemen, I thank you for your time. I know you're both on deadline, and uh, I can try to explain to the readers what newspaper deadlines are. I'm not sure they know. Uh, thank you. I'll see you both along the way. And uh, that's Paul Tenorio of the Orlando Sentinel. He's on Twitter at Paul Tenorio. Matt Pence of the Seattle Times, who has a three-hour advantage on both me and Paul. Uh, he's at, Ma- at Matt Pence on Twitter. Gentlemen, thanks. Thanks, Jonathan. Hey, thanks so much. It's halftime at Olympic Stadium in Montreal. It's scoreless. The impact are 45 minutes away, cross your fingers, from possibly, maybe, kind of, sort of. I don't want to jinx it. I'm afraid that I might. Advancing to uh, the CONCACAF Champions League semifinals. Uh, While I'm still here, I want to – if you guys have questions, since we've got a couple minutes, let's go until, I don't know, maybe 9, 10, 9, 15, give us – 10 or 15 minutes, I'll try to take some questions on Twitter. Of course, my handle is at the goalkeeper. I saw somebody out there ask whether it's election night in Major League Soccer. Uh, no, Molina Barajas. I, I appreciate the compliment. Uh, that's, uh, that's for down the road if Trevor's able to bring MLS tonight back. Uh, that could, I don't know when or if that's going to happen. That was a lot of fun when we did it. Uh, I do have a little bit of news to share that's not CBA-related directly. Uh, I am told that I can announce that Jeff Carlisle of ESPN, who has been breaking news all over the place today, will be on Soccer Morning tomorrow at 10 a.m. Eastern time with Jason Davis. Um, that's been great. And, of course, his report just as we were coming on air. Uh, the current offer on the table provides from the league, and I'll read directly here from his article on ESPNFC.com. Players who are 28 years or older and who have been in the league at least eight years and not necessarily with the same team, which is a huge provision, they will, quote, have the right to choose their next market, end quote, when their contract runs out or when their option is declined, the source added that the player's previous team will not be able to make a modified offer of a nominal salary increase to keep the player. That's pretty big, and I'm not going to say it's all the way perfect um, in terms of what's really ideal from the player's perspective. My hope was for a five-year provision of service time. Um, I, I, I certainly think that the fact that the owners opened the Pandora's box earlier today with free agency in some form, that was the starting point that MLS really needed. So now uh, we will see whether there has been enough progress to really uh, to, to really strike a deal tonight or tomorrow. And we can hope if that happens that the Chicago Fire are able to get on the plane to L.A. on Thursday, that the teams who are playing Saturday and Sunday games uh, – We'll have the opportunity to fly out on time. and We'll have a full weekend of games this weekend. I have been offered the opportunity by Trevor Hayward to do something that I was not able to do when I hosted Soccer Morning, and that is to take calls from the listenership. Trevor, what is the number? 
he will tell me in a minute. I got some questions on Twitter. Uh, the number is 347-756-6276. I'll take your questions for a little while if you have. Uh, we got one on Twitter from Mitchell Kahali. How much re is rejection of free agency stoked by the owner's fear of losing single entity? It's funny because for the, you, know, you heard Deloy Hanson, the owner of Real Salt Lake, say publicly um, he didn't think free agency could exist within single entity. I disagree with that because I think that you can collectively bargain just about anything you want in a CBA. That's the point of collective bargaining agreements. And yes, as I said earlier, I'm a unionized journalist. I know about this from experience. You can put as much in a CBA as you want, and you should, because then you don't have all these loopholes and gray areas that either side can take advantage of this way or that. If there's a striker, the player's eligible for the CONCACAF Champions League. They're eligible. It's their decision as to whether they'd want to play. My guess is they wouldn't. They've played the quarterfinals as a statement of good faith. Um, and I think that's been appreciated by a lot of people. Certainly you have Montreal with the chance to make some history tonight. Um, DC's got a lot of work to do tomorrow. Uh, but you thought going in, they'd have a better chance against Dallas than how they played down there. Uh, what do I think the final deal looks like 27 and seven? I don't know. I, I don't want to make a prediction on what the final deal is going to look like um, because there's so many variables at play that I, I, I just don't know. So again, the phone number, if you're interested in calling 347-756-6276, if you have questions about CBA talks, um, no calls yet. All I'm doing is sitting here, you know, watching TV. Oh, we got one. We have one. The area code, oh shoot, come on, Skype, closed here. The area code, I believe, is 443. Who's this? Uh, this is Taylor. How are you, Jonathan? How are you? Um, my question is, um, do you think that the networks, ESPN um, specifically, um, are talking to both sides saying, hey, if you don't get this right, we're going to pull money off the table? Well, they're not going to pull money. I don't think they're going to pull money off the table because I think, look, even if there is a strike, I think it's going to last a week or two at most. And the TV networks know that. But I think that they have over the course of time probably tapped some folks on the shoulder and said, look, let's get this done. And I think I, I have a hunch. Maybe it's an educated guess, you might say. I've talked to a few people who would rather put, not put their names out there and would rather what they say not be on the record, and I can understand why in this case. Look, better players leads to better TV ratings, leads to better hype and buzz and all stuff like that. How do you get better players? You spend more money. That doesn't really bring the TV networks down on the owner's side, if you think about it. So, I, I, look, I suspect that there's, as I said, been some taps on the shoulder and things like that. And... Uh, I just, I just, as I sort of, as I said to Paul Tenorio earlier, if I'm the folks down in Orlando, I'm getting worried because I've got this big game on Sunday night, and I just, you just start to get a little bit of cold feet, and you start to wonder, and you start saying, "Look, can we do a deal? 
Can we figure something out? Because there's, there's enough owners in this point that have the money. That's the thing. A lot of the stuff that I've appealed for MLS to do over the years, getting rid of the allocation order, you know, getting rid of the weighted lotteries, having, some, having better player rights, things like that. It's not because I'm some idealist that's just jumping in. It's, it's because I've seen MLS grow to the point where I believe it can handle and sustain this stuff. Thanks for the call, man. I appreciate it. Yep, thanks. Another caller. Lucky me. Area code 407. Who's this? Hey, Jonathan. Uh, my name is Chase. I'm out of Orlando. Um, Hello. I just wanted to... Just wanted are you, to call going, are you going to the season. game Sunday night? Yes, absolutely. All right, good. What's your question? Well, no, not so much a question, more so kind of a statement. I, I think that... Um, Anyone that takes stock in anything this evening, and not necessarily in what's already been reported, I think Car- uh, Jeffrey uh, Carl always does a good job, uh, and you do a good job, and Paul Tenorio does a good job. But I think anything, jumping to any premature conclusions this evening, it's all of this is really PR movement uh, by both the players in the league. So I think that really tomorrow is the tall tale sign of what's really going to happen. That's really what I want to kind of throw out there. Well, and you make a good point. Thanks for the call. Uh, you make a good point, and... Anything that gets into collective bargaining or legal affairs or stuff like that. We all want the sides to talk and throw rumors and stuff out there and and, and say things in public that makes us feel good. But a lot of what happens behind closed doors, the less talking, the less leaking there is in public, the better. Because that's a sign that there's real progress being made. And look, I'm in the media. I trade in there being more public information out there, but I respect when people don't want to talk because there's stuff getting done and it sure does sound like there's stuff getting done. now. A couple of minutes left. Let's say we'll go until 15 minutes past the hour. And uh, I don't, I don't want to sit here and rant forever. You guys see me do that enough. Uh, and it's funny because I can tell you, here in Philadelphia, which I will remind people is the fourth biggest television market in the country um, and therefore should matter to Major League Soccer. The labor traction stuff, the the MLS in general doesn't get much traction. The labor stuff, it's making some moves a little bit, making some headway, but the Eagles traded their star running back, LaShawn McCoy, tonight to Buffalo. And that just toasted everything else in sports. I mean, everything. Good luck. You know, trying to get anybody's attention anywhere. They don't even talk about soccer on the local sports talk radio in the first place. But, you know, this is one of those places where having a, a an afternoon game on the local ABC affiliate instead of on cable matters. Where national TV games matter. Where the sport fights every day for interest, attention, and... If you're doing things on the cheap and you're not able to bring quality players in, you're not able to bring in, you know, the names that will get the attention of the non-soccer fans, the only other recourse that you have is to win. And it's pretty clear that the union haven't done too much of that in their history. 347-756-6276, a question from New York City Watch. How much do you think the salary cap will increase? Also, you know, that's a great question. Both great questions. I don't know. I said as soon as the TV deal was done that uh, 
whoa, boy, Ted just tweeted something that I'm going to have to read on air in a minute. Anyway, I, I think, look, the league minimum has to go up. You, you can't have guys living on thirty to $40,000 or so a year in San Francisco, New York, Washington. We're better than that. We're, we, we're even, look, some of us make about that amount of money. I get that. Part of the humility of Major League Soccer comes from the fact that the players make the same amount of money. A lot of the players make the same amount of money as a lot of the fans do. I think we're pretty well conditioned at this point in North America to understanding that professional athletes probably have a right to make more money than most of the rest of us do because the amount of time they have to earn that big money as a professional athlete is not as long as the career of your average journalist or lawyer or whatever may have. So here, here's one from uh, Taylor Twelman reporting of ESPN. Latest MLS CBA offer from owners does include a cap of only a 10% raise for that so-called free agent. Look, if I'm the players' union, I think about that because if nothing else, you can sign. With the, It's going to help to sign the club of their choosing, and you might structure that contract where you get a 10% raise in the first year and a bigger raise in the second year. I think some folks would, 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 uh, would, would take that. Question from... Kyle Nowotny, thoughts on CONCACAF's cold war between summit traffic. I'm going to save that for my next appearance on Soccer Morning. Here's what Ted Westervelt said, and, and I'm going to read his tweet on air real quick, and Trevor's head is going to explode. I got a call. Let me, let me give the caller one quick second. Let me read this quick on air from Ted Westervelt, Soccer Reform, of course, on Twitter. If you don't know who he is, you should by now. Go read the Howler Magazine profile on him. If the players asked for pro rail, they could have compromised the total free agency not MLS simulated free agency. I, I don't even know. I, I, I don't even know. Area code 816, who's this? Hey, it's Eric in Wisconsin. Hello out there. Yeah, I was wondering, I had a question for you. Um, do you think the uh, if the salary caps do go up, it's going to affect the uh, designated player um, status we currently have as far as adding an American DP or adding another DP slot. So if, if, if the salaries go up enough, they won't do that. Or what might be the effect of those two together? I think some of the teams are going to want a fourth DP slot, but I also think that if the, if the threshold goes up, um, some of the guys who are DPs now aren't going to be DPs anymore. And that'll help uh, clarify some of that. That's probably the simplest question I've got all night. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks. You're welcome. Bye. Ed Blythe on Twitter. Why not set a hard floor and ceiling on the salary cap and on player salaries with a number of DPs? I'm not against the floor, but, uh, you know, I, I'm not against the floor. It'll help, especially some of the teams that try to get by with spending a little less money. But at the same time, the cap has historically been low enough that a floor hasn't always been of much use, if we're honest. 
Simon Broin, I, I hope I pronounced his last name right on Twitter. Ironically, will this weird form of free agency fans are hoping for create more of those secret MLS rules fans hate? Oi. Oi. Uh, let's hope not. Let's hope not. Uh, I certainly have called for a long time for the allocation rules and the lotteries and all that crap there. I said it crap. It's crap. It's suboptimal crap. So there. I don't think that phrase has been copyrighted yet. All those allocation rules. We'll see if they go away in the CBA. I hope they do. I really believe it's in the owner's interest to do it. Enough of them, enough of the owners have frankly been screwed over by it. Uh, to, uh, to, uh, to, 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 I hope, want to get rid of some of those rules. And they can do it without it costing them that much more. And the right of first refusal in perpetuity, if you even make a contract off the rule guy, come on. More than enough teams in MLS now have been screwed over by that. Never mind players like Hercules Gomez. I, I hope that's gone. I, I really hope that's gone. If the players walk tomorrow night, uh, tonight or tomorrow morning, will DC United walk away from the CCL? Another question from New York City, Washington. That was speculated by Stephen Goff of the Washington Post today. Not confirmed. Uh, and I don't want to come across as it being confirmed or anything close to it. Uh, let's see what happens tomorrow uh, with the CCL thing. Anybody else? I think we're getting close. we got four minutes left and we get to 15 minutes past the hour and wrap this thing up. My... My thanks to Dwayne Rollins at 24th Minute, Simon Fudge at Simon Fudge 74 who has his own radio show, as I said, out in Vancouver, Saturday nights at 10 p.m. Pacific, 1 a.m. Eastern on CIL 650. I've been on there a couple of times. It's also podcasted. Look for a Kia Vancouver Soccer Talk and iTunes. Dwayne Rollins, of course, hosts the Two Solitudes pod. Matt Pence of the Seattle Times at Matt Pence. Uh, Paul Tenorio, the Orlando Sentinel, at Paul Tenorio. Please follow all of them. They're great reporters and great people. Vince, uh, Vince, you should. I, I would love it if Vince would call just so he could say, oh, hey, Jonathan. I don't think he's going to do it, but I've called him out. So there. Vince on Twitter, Vince by demand. Are owners apprehensive about acquiescing to some sort of free agency because of what that could mean for the next CBA, which raises its own interesting question, which is how long is the CBA going to be? We don't know. Um, that's another interesting question that we're going to have to wait to hear about. I should thank also Trevor Hayward, the producer who wouldn't spur the moment, uh, agreed to do this show. Uh, I don't know whether he had other plans. <laughs> now Trevor's calling me out on Twitter. Uh, I don't know if Trevor had other plans tonight, so thank him. For, uh, for jumping on tonight and helping out with the production behind the scenes. Hey Hayward is his Twitter handle, H-E-Y-H-A-Y-W-A-R-D. The man does great work helping to promote American soccer journalism and American soccer journalists. Of course, follow Backheel uh, at Backheel.com. Jeff Carlisle is on Soccer Morning tomorrow at 10 a.m. Eastern. I will let uh, Jason Davis, of course, uh, reveal the rest of the guests that are coming. And I think 
We will call time there. Thank you for listening tonight, for us all coming together on short notice. Oh, one last caller. Just in time. Beating the buzzer. Area code 905. Who's this? Hello. You there? It's, uh uh-oh. It's Southern Ontario. And I can't hear whoever it is. This might be Vince. And he's dead silent. Whoever you are, hang up and call back. Try again. Call didn't come through. Rare for that to happen, Trevor says. I, 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 I am, by the way, I am on, on the board of the campaign to get Trevor to speak on a show sometime. I'm not the president. Jason's the president. Uh, Jared Dubois is probably the vice president. Whoever you were, area code 905, call back. We'll see if we can get you on. All right, here before the show ends, hello. I hear something. Hello. There's radio silence and a click. And there it goes again. Aw. All right. Well, you had your shot, whoever you were. We're going to call it a night. Thanks for listening. I'm Jonathan Tannenwald from Philly.com. My handle, of course, is at the goalkeeper. Uh, all of my stuff is on Philly.com soccer page at Philly.com slash soccer. Go check it out. Give it a read. Now what? He's called again. Hello. Hello, John. Is this Vince? Yes, it is. Bravo. We made it. He made it at the buzzer. There are no buzzers in soccer. <laughs> in stoppage time, Vince from Toronto, whose university is on strike, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, unfortunately. So you have some experience with this labor stuff yourself. Listen, from your perspective in Toronto, how big a deal is that Toronto-Vancouver game on Saturday? Uh, it's, 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 you know, right now it's probably the most important game in all of Canada. I mean, you know, no offense to Montreal and Pachuca. Um, you know, obviously my biased perspective as a Toronto fan, but it's, it's been hyped up. It's been very much promoted here and everybody's looking forward to it. And, you know, and I, I brought this up earlier today when I called into soccer morning, just how disappointing and how, you know, bad image wise, uh, it could be up here if that game doesn't go through. But I think you and I agree, Vince, that if you're the players' union, you strike when you, you, you strike, metaphorically, not literally. You make your move when you have the most momentum. And when you, ooh, boy, Montreal almost just scored, sorry. When you oh. have announcing TV contracts and selling out the Citrus Bowl, this is the time for the players' union to make their move. Absolutely. I mean, you can't just, you know, take $100 million from Manchester City and then scream poor. You can't put all this promotion into two new MLS teams uh, and scream poor. You can't, you can't act. Uh, like, I don't know how MLS acted in, two, in 2010 when, when the other seat, when, the, when the, the just expired CBA was signed. But the, those excuses in 2010 don't fly anymore in 2015. I'm with you. They don't listen to me all the time. But- Every once in a while, they do. Vince, thanks so, for calling. So, John, I just yeah, I just want to leave you with a, with a question. I just want to, like I, I put it on Twitter. If the are the owners apprehensive because of what this what the next CBA uh, could potentially lead to? Well, one of the big questions in this is 
how long this CBA is going to go for, we don't know. Um, you know, the current, the one that just expired was for five years. I, I just, one of the reasons why the TV networks have put so much money on the table, and they haven't been shy about saying this, especially when Carlos Rodriguez, the president of Univision Sports, they want the money to be spent on the players. They don't want the owners putting this on their own pocket. You know, um, that, and if, if they're leaning, if they, whether it's ESPN or Fox or Univision or Bell, are leaning on the owners saying, no, we gave you this money to spend it on the players, do it, prove. MLS needs to get to a point where the National Hockey League is, where the owners believe that it's in their interest to spend more money. And Major League Baseball is at that point. Turn the show down, Vince, a little bit. I can hear myself, which is kind of scary. Um, but the, the owners need to be convinced that it's in their interest to spend more money. I know there are some owners, including Tim Iwicki in Toronto, who believe that. And now it's up to them to convince the other owners of that. Vince, thanks for calling. And, uh, we'll, talk again soon. we'll talk again soon. Okay, take care, John. Bye-bye. Vince, in, so the famous Vince in Toronto, if you want to heckle him on Twitter, Vince by demand. And uh, one of the most loyal callers into all manner of, of backheel.com shows. That's it. We're done. I got to run because I got to be up early in the morning to be at my, uh, my actual job at 7 o'clock Eastern. Thanks for listening. Thanks to uh, everybody who I've mentioned. Uh, Dwayne Rollins, Simon Fudge, Paul Tenorio, Matt Pence, Trevor Hayward. I'm Jonathan Tannenwald from Philly.com. Good night.